0: Hi Laura, how are you? I'm um, well. Thank you. Thank you. It seems so. Um, we want to just get started by saying this is the first Therapy Thursday that we're doing for Mindfulness for Mamas. This is Kirsten speaking. So we're um, recording a Zoom call. We're gonna do the video, and we might also offer this as an auto podcast only. So if we end up doing that, I just wanted to say to anybody who's hearing us but not seeing us. Um, welcome and and you are hearing the voice of Kirsten Farney. Um, I am one of the co-founders of Mindfulness for Mamas, and I'm talking today with Laura Santamaro of JH Family Solutions and she's a lic- licensed marriage and family therapist um, and provides in her practice um, emotionally focused therapy and that's right right and e f f t emotionally Emotional Family focused
1: Therapist? Yeah, all these acronyms, they get, they get confusing, but Kirsten, first I just want to say thanks so much for having me. It's really wonderful to be here. I have been so impressed with our community and our mental health therapists, and I'm just reminded that um, together we are able to do so much more than individually. So thanks for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Um, I do. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. do provide EFT, which stands for emotionally focused therapy, that is for couples. It has been recognized in our field as the most effective form of couples therapy and over the years has evolved. So they have taken this wonderful modality and expanded it into EFFT, which is emotionally focused family therapy, and now, this year, uh, sort of sweeping the globe, is what we call eFit emotionally focused individual therapy. So, Sue Johnson, our creator, our mentor, and our guide, has really taken this amazing modality and applied it to individual, couple, and family therapy. And so, I'm certified as both a therapist and supervisor.
0: Awesome. Thank you, thank you for that explanation. You were much more eloquent about it than I was, um, and I think what I love about this because um, I've worked with you a bit, and I'm okay, you know, sharing that, disclosing that, um, and have just had such a wonderful experience with you personally, and also with this modality, um, because I I really think that um, it does strengthen bonds and build resilience, which I know is one of the goals as well, and um, my marriage is stronger working with you and my um my relationship with my children think the dynamic within our family as well so thank you for the work you're doing and i just want to acknowledge to you that um you volunteered kind of like right at the get-go you're like i want to find a way to get back and could can see that the need um was only going to be heightened during this very uncertain time and with all these changes that are going on in our homes, um, the dynamics that are really shifting, trying to have an understanding of, of what is, what is healthy and what do, like, those healthy attachments and bonds
1: look like so that we can get through this together. Yeah, <laughs> yes, glad and excited to be here
0: yeah well so we reached out to the community and we asked them for some questions and um because we felt uh and i and you'd recommend doing this this would be the best way to get really a pulse of what's going on in people's lives and and what we need to focus on today so some of these questions um are a little bit long and i might paraphrase a few but um i think um i'm going to start with one um, two questions that kind of go together. Um, this person wrote, there are two adults and two children working and living in this house. Husband and I um, and my oldest, four-year-old, are great at, taking, at breaking out regular doors. And she references, like, cooking, just laundry, et cetera. How am I the only one to know that the bathroom house needs changed? And we're running out of shampoo. Those are all randomly bathroom-related. but <laughs> It's household-wide more than that. Any ideas on how to split up the emotional labor without making it even more work for me? Or at least how to stop the flow of resentment by using small things? That's a great question to start with.
1: That is a great question. And I think first off, I probably would want to say, I don't think this person is alone. (laughs) I think pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, these are issues that we see all the time right, in families and couples, especially with small children, um, but things do shift when we are in quarantine and sheltering in place. So when I think about how to help folks, right, what we're always looking at, most, most people come in and they're saying, we need to communicate better, which makes so much sense, and these are issues that we have to communicate in, uh, about in our relationships, and how do we do so in a way that actually pulls us towards each other? right? And sometimes these conversations really invite us into what we call a demon dialogue or a negative pattern. So I might be wanting to talk to my partner about the distribution of labor, but the way I sort of do that, right, is I'm going to come across as more sort of protesting or critical or blaming. And I know, at least in my marriage, right, my husband's going to get defensive right off the bat. Right? I would love to say, hey, we learned this stuff and it doesn't happen, but the conversation we had five minutes before I got on the call lets me know that you know, um, they still happen, they still happen, and, and what we want to do is really create that awareness so we can um, arrest it and then begin to try and communicate differently. So much like we had just talked about briefly there, I am an emotionally focused therapist, and so what we do is really look at what's the underlying uh, emotion there. So if you think of an iceberg, for example, you know, there is so much of it that's above the water, right? And that's what we see. And in relationships, that's what we tend to show each other. Yet what we know about an iceberg is I think two-thirds, 80%, whatever that 90 or whatever that might end up being percentage-wise is under the water and yet that's what we don't see. And our relationships and communication actually tends to be uh, exactly like that when we get into these dialogues is that the emotional part is left under the water and not really talked about. And by that emotional part, what I'm talking about is what we reference as primary emotions. So you're gonna have pockets of fear, hurt, and shame. Those are the basic ones. Yet we have all of these other emotions that have a tendency to cover them up. Things like frustration and anger, confusion, numbness, disappointment. And so what we're trying to do is always be able to send a clearer message, a clearer signal to our partner. And what we know does that, just again, this is all neuroscience and research behind it, is the way that we're wired is to actually capture another person's emotional system And then we want to respond and for all of us who are parents we can just go back to the early days with our kids and we know that right our kids are in distress and everyone knows what that feels like on the inside of just really wanting to respond so in a situation like this right my what i would encourage is that we're able to go okay first of all i need to slow myself down what's really happening right it feels like i'm the only one noticing that these things need to be done Right. Somehow my partner's not seeing the towels or the dirty toilet or vacuuming the floor or the dirty dishes, whatever it might be. And I need to slow down and I need to begin to recognize how am I making sense of this? Right. That's the first thing. It's like our cognitive appraisal, right? Does this mean he doesn't care? Does this mean that I'm not important? Does this mean he expects me to do it? And then I want to pay attention to what are the emotions that I'm feeling, right? Coming alive in that moment. Right. And you can feel, I mean, definitely the frustration and the anger of that. But if I sort of dig a little bit deeper to kind of go under the water, right, is, you know, what are my deeper fears or my deeper pains around that? Like it really actually hurts when my partner's not engaging and sharing the load and somehow this is not on his radar. And then my encouragement would be is to do the most vulnerable thing, right? Which is, can I start talking to my partner about that? To say, hey, I noticed, you know, I the the towels were left on the floor again. I, I've done the, the laundry four times. It feels like this isn't on your radar and that it's kind of having an impact on me, right? And, you know, um, seeing if if coming from that more vulnerable position isn't that thing that captures him and pulls him in to hear differently we're now communicating differently and you know i mean i can't say it's a hundred percent success that people don't go into defense because sometimes we do run into blocks but it is more effective at kind of taking the defensive um, or coping strategy and pushing it aside to have somebody lean in and be more active in a um, effective and you could even say sort of solution focused uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody wants to hear that their partner's hurting, and and we're all inspired to actually want to help with that. Right? But when I know I come from a finger pointing, blaming, "Hey, you're forgetting the towels again." Position, my husband is not as open. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, in our house, it sounds a lot like you never,
0: or I always, always. Yeah, these broad sweeping, which you know, and I'm I'm usually the one doling that out, so um, I take full responsibility for that. But if I'm honest with myself, it's that's not really true. And it, and I think you're right. The thing that bothers me the most is, hmm, like, I'm noticing it. And you know, this the person who wrote this question said, you know, refer to it as emotional labor, mm-hmm. and it does. It feels like that. It feels like this. I'm carrying the emotional burden of the family of like noticing all the things all the time and um, I think even switching or flipping the script and noticing what someone else is noticing I realize or what my partner's noticing I realize um, well they are they are paying attention to the things that may be important for them Um, and I can at least remove that always and and never from my vocabulary because I feel like that's an immediate like putting
1: someone on the defense. I think those are dangerous words for most of us you know and what I love about this question is the the um, person who wrote it is clearly doing a little bit of that already really slowing it sounds like herself slowing herself down And saying, you know, here's the issue and really just again noticing what's coming up for her, Mm -hmm. right? How to stop the flow of resentment and, you know, that already, that connection to her internal world, right? And, And knowing that unacknowledged hurts really do build resentment. Right. So being able to have that awareness, that insight and connection to what's going on is already a leg up and saying, how can I craft a new and different conversation around this? Mm -hmm. And I I would love the vulnerability there of saying, you know, hey, I'm feeling resentful and that's not where I want this marriage to go. Right. And in trying to keep the focus on the fact that we're in this together right? We're actually on the same team. And I know that the pandemic in and of itself being, being in these confined spaces, sometimes I think it can be really easy to forget that. I mean, we are all on edge, right? Our limbic systems and our emotional systems are all out of whack. We do not have any uh, map for how to handle this and where we get our sense of safety, which is what we're all looking for as human beings is through predictability. And there is no predictability, right? We don't know what's next, and therefore, we're not doing so well, right? And that's that part of our survival system, the limbic system, that's always saying, you know, what's next? How am I doing? What's next? How am I doing? And on that level, a lot of those are really unknown, so we're already jacked up. And now we're living together, right? And you can just really start feeling some of this stuff. So again, the ability to slow that down and connect to what this person's already feeling, I think is, is a leg up in the whole process. hmm
0: I love it. and And the um, slowing down before you go into that conversation mm-hmm. is so important. I, there's another question here that I think it's kind of segueing into, you know, a lot of us find ourselves um, maybe realizing, oh, i I should have slowed down and this just got amped up this person says how do i communicate my needs to my family especially my husband without it spiraling into a competition of who is the most negatively affected by the changes during this pandemic mm-hmm. mm, you know that i think the question of well when it's already heightened mm-hmm. what are some things that i can do maybe to yeah yeah,
1: yeah another great question and that is really hard. When we are already heightened, right, it is really hard to calm ourselves down and then lean into the fire, right? And, you know, in every uh, primary need, the the pain, the hurt, the shame, it, I'm sorry, in every primary emotion, there is an embedded need, right? So that is, it's so beautifully worded, right? This person knows there are some needs, the family, uh, my husband, my own personal needs, and again, I'm going to always try and go to what's the emotion, right? What's happening right before the need comes up? Um, I, I have this pithy, I'm a sort of math nerd, math and science nerd. So I love equations and mine is V plus N equals R, right? And the V there is the vulnerability. Can I share that pocket of hurt, that pocket of pain or, or fear? Um, and then the plus the N is my need. Mm -hmm. equals R which is responsiveness. So a lot of the times we believe that we're communicating vulnerably yet it might come from frustration or I skip the V and I just start talking about what I need. I really need you to start taking a more active role. I need you to do the kids lunch. I know whatever the situation might be right now and if I'm forgetting how I feel before that then those needs can really come across, unfortunately, as criticism or control, demand, and then we don't get the responsiveness that we're looking for. And typically that will spiral right into some sort of competition. You need me to cook lunch. Well, I, you know, who do you think did the raking of the lawn? And, right, and you can feel right there, we're already into some sort of negative pattern, but we've really lost the the, the sort of focus again, that we're on the same team and we're actually both in this place of uncertainty and hurting, right? So in, in order to communicate needs, right? I'm always coaching folks. Can we talk about how you're feeling first? In every feeling there is an embedded need, right? I feel, you know, I feel that I'm overwhelmed, right? I feel like there's so much, I know you're doing your share too, but there's not one more chore. Can you help me? right? I need you to do X, Y, or Z. Would that be possible? So we're inviting that responsiveness in. And again, there's all the science behind it in that when I start hearing how my loved one is in distress, and that's fear and pain, my brain softens. My brain is designed to capture that distress of my loved one and respond. That's how our attachment systems work right? And again, the clearer you can get, the better. And I think knowing what you need is most of us could rattle off 600 different things, right, that we need, especially at this time. And what I know is when we're really starting to get into the more vulnerable relational pieces, I would encourage all of us to sort of sit with that, have some mindfulness and intention because I think we don't really know what we need. I think we think we know and I need you to do something different. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, can we also turn our eyes inward? Mm -hmm. Can I sit in this place where I feel overwhelmed, where I feel like I'm hurting and really grasp what do I need? I need to know that I'm valued by you, right? That's what comes up for me, which is very, very different than asking my partner to make lunch. Right, so it's sort of like if I can say I'm feeling just unappreciated, I'm feeling undervalued, and what I really need is some recognition and reassurance. That's a very different conversation um, than saying, you know, I need you to do these these this list of tasks. Yeah, I I love everybody's negatively affected, unfortunately, and I want to keep us in that boat together. Yeah, Yeah. I loved it. I'm sure you guys have heard or you've heard, seen. We're not all in the same boat, but we're all weathering the same storm, right? So I wanna clarify that, right? Because there is a negative affect, but my storm can look very different than my partners. We all do a pandemic differently. Some people get mobilized and they wanna create opportunity and do all these different things while other people are saying, you know, it's great, I'll lay on the couch. I'm gonna chill out, right? And then that can look very different for partners too. Yeah
0: definitely Definitely. Um, i I think i might be getting a little feedback sorry about that um the v plus n equals r vulnerability plus needs equal responsiveness i just wanted to go back and repeat that in case someone missed it because that i feel like that is super helpful i might even put that like on my refrigerator, um, <laughs> bathroom mirror, um, because it, it is, it's so easy to um, go into the, the solution focus um, dialogue about, here's what I need, and um, that the motivator for the other person really wanting to, oh, I see that you're suffering, I see that you're in pain or whatever, is sharing also the vulnerability part, which we all know is hard. Um.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, you know, it's really important. I love this idea of metabolic load sharing, right? So what that really references is some of Jim Cohen's. He's a neuroscientist out of UVA and has just done some absolutely incredible work and his whole his whole life's work is about understanding that we're social creatures and we're designed to share this load together and that metabolic load share is about the pain it's about the fear and that when when we can share that with one another and resource our partners and co-burden the emotion we simply do better Mm-hmm. right? And normally what happens when we are in that kind of a partnership, the things that we see as negative, the things that we see as distress, we actually know are not quite as distressing. So it sort of softens the speed bumps or lowers the speed bumps in the in the potholes that we navigate through life when we're kind of doing it together with one another. We get to share that load. So I love the co-burdening of that.
0: Yeah, I love that term, co-burdening. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Um, that's a good one. i would never heard that before. And it, you know, I also think the fact that you're sharing how to have this dialogue, this inner dialogue, um, you know, almost like, okay, my therapist isn't here with me. what would she ask me? <laughs> oh, what am I feeling right now? What is the underlying feeling? Um, and then, you know, getting to the needs is that's such um, an important tool to be able to have to then go and have the conversation and articulate um, compassionately and openly, vulnerably to our partner or maybe our children about what we need. Um, that um, I love that and it actually, it brings me to the next question because um, somebody had asked, I'm gonna find it here, oh should couples or individuals who were previously seeking therapy pre- previous to COVID continue to seek counseling remotely? Um, and I think it brings up that question like, how much of this work can I actually do on my own?
1: And how much
0: do I, need, I really need to ask for help?
1: Yes, I'm, I have that question too. And started off, I, I'm so much better. I'm like a visual, and I wanna get the question right. Here it is. So regularly seeing couples before, and now it's on pause. Couples and individuals, should you continue remotely? Uh, my answer is absolutely right, and for a couple reasons. One is my personal experience is that so much is actually still capable through, I I use only this, a very secure HIPAA compliant Zoom platform that we buy into, Um, but I have had great success, and that's with couples who are coming in for the first time. So anybody who knows me knows I want to feel your energy, right? And so I'm very explicit and transparent right up front where I'm telling folks, I can't feel your energy. I'm going to annoy the shit out of you. Excuse my language, right? Now I have to put this as an explicit call. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to want to keep checking in, right? So we're, we are so trained to feel energy, I think, even though we don't realize it. So that is the only one piece that sometimes I think a, a savvy therapist just needs to be aware of and help people know, like, I'm going to be asking, like, hey, I see that, to- that look on your face. I haven't met with you before. Help me know. Right, Or if you already are with a therapist that you've been working with, that therapist, I know your energy, right? So I can be like, hey, Kristen, I'm seeing that look. You know, I've seen that look several times. It's always meant this, check in with me. Is that what's happening right now? You know, so it's just a little, a little sidestep that we put in the dance that we do. But I, I think it is so important for us to create space and be held right now in what we're experiencing. Again, we know in times of crisis, right, our brains just simply don't function as well as they have, right, we are going to revert back to uh, those survival instincts, those maybe old behaviors, and relationally speaking, right, things are jacked up, there's there's more short-temperedness, more irritation, again, if we're handling the pandemic differently, the, the load distribution, so being able to continue that work right and even hold space for processing what is it like to be in a pandemic and to be quarantined and be here together and and navigate the challenges of our relationship because things are moving differently now i think is imperative right mm-hmm. is is there's there's, again, there's no normal to this. We're not designed to, if you're still working, be at home working full time while you're trying to homeschool, while you're trying to clean your house and figure out how to get some exercise or look at your dog over there who's gaining a ton of, you know, it's crazy. So of course, yes, get that support. And in the event that the the Zoom call or whatever platform your therapist might be using, in the event that it doesn't feel great, then you always have the opportunity to say, hmm, you know, I was just doing some supervision um, with some therapists that I train. And one of them was talking about some of the changes that they've made in their practices. They're allowing for half hour calls, which I really liked. Or we typically schedule with folks on a week to week basis. But in this offering every other week or let's do a, um, you know, every three week check-in, So you still are maintaining, right, anchor points along the way in your growth and development and, of course, in your your place of support right now.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think that differentiating piece is so important because we're doing it in every aspect of Mm -hmm. our lives. You know, we're used to... Socializing a certain way, or you know, even connecting with family or grandparents a certain way, and having—I t- um, yeah, use that term a lot. I um, used to teach and differentiating, differentiating instruction um, with this thing. Um, so how can I? You know, we still have the essence of the need is still there, but the way that we get what we may need, need to be differentiated, and the, the time was really my phone thing about. How long can I actually do this Zoom thing um, where, you know, what location, what room in my house? Maybe <laughs> my office isn't the best place because I feel very amped up here. Like I need to be productive and I can't feel vulnerable on a call or um, to really think through all of those um, as well. Um, and, and it's great when you're working with someone who can identify that, can see. Um,
1: and and I think, too, as I'm reading through the the complexities of the question, right, is that the things that maybe you were working on in therapy, for some couples, at least my experience and my caseload, is we haven't missed a beat. We're still doing, you know, EFT has a very structured roadmap for therapy. We know what we're doing. We don't necessarily process the fight of the week or say, hey, how you doing? Where are we going? Like, I always know where I'm going with my folks. And again, I think it's a collaborative relationship with a therapist. So if that's what your needs are and you can continue doing that work, or if because the pandemic has brought up up other stuff, I think it's a beautiful opportunity to say, maybe we hit the pause on some of that focus, but let's start talking about here. And I'll be honest, you know, from an EFT perspective, the content is irrelevant because the content just keeps leading us back to the same places about what the underwater, under sort of that lower part of the iceberg is. You know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about finances or sex or work distribution and all that other stuff. The underlying that V plus N tends to be pretty consistent over time.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, So we have kind of um, a follow-up question to this. Um, which I think speaks to what you were just talking about, the issues we were having before versus now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the issues that we were having before may have diffused because they were around, you know, um, at least like the, the triggers for that were trying to juggle work outside the home and getting our kids to school and two activities and volunteering and social life and all of these things Um, but now that everybody's together and we aren't going anywhere some of those issues have confused and it seems to me like this person is feeling like some relief and okay that's really nice i want to continue that Um, we look forward to moving back into like a sense of normal how do we maintain that without reigniting the conflict?
1: Mm-hmm. That is a great question. That is a great question, right? When we're finally feeling connected in a way in our relationships, how do we hold on to that? And I've heard a lot of my couples reference that as well, the triggers the things that were cues that were kind of igniting some of the distress and arguments when you shave them off, you know, it's like, Hey, we're doing all right. This feels pretty good. And wanting to hold on to that. And again, I think what I would want to go back and look at is, you know, the triggers, right? The cues, the things that I'm experiencing are not here. Right so again, when all of a sudden i 'm not maybe threatened that you 're going out and playing golf or you 're working you know eighty hours a week or you 're not whatever that disengagement cue is, when that 's taken away, all of a sudden, what am i feeling i 'm feeling connected right, and I would just want to unpack that right that's real the really would really what would be the integration and consolidation here is. If I can start saying, you know, without having to compete with the whole wide world at large and having you here and feeling connected to you means that we're in partnership. It means that I'm relying on you in ways that I've never done. I get the sense that I'm really important to you and we're in it together. And that really feels connecting and wonderful. And I feel so loved in this moment right? Can we continue to do that? Again, I would want couples to have that more vulnerable conversation. This is the positive, good stuff. And the more you can put words to it, what that does is it really helps us integrate into our brain, into our neurology, and then consolidate behaviorally, right? So we're creatures. We want things to feel good, And if all of a sudden we're having what I would call these corrective experiences because the cues or the triggers are not there, right? Then again, being able to outline that stuff, we're kind of really seeding this corrective experience. And once we have that neurologically, it can never be taken away. Mm -hmm. So part of the trick there is how do we just keep talking about the good stuff, right? Because what I didn't say is, In therapy, we tend to focus on those pockets of fear and pain and shame. But the other vulnerable emotions that are underneath there are joy, right? And curiosity, right? And that's exactly what this conversation is about. It's about joy and love when I'm feeling connected, when I'm feeling like we're relying on each other. And so the more we can put words to that stuff, then the more it's going to consolidate. And again, then we're building this. Right, a lot of people say we're putting, you know, grains of sand on our island of safety and connectivity. Yeah, are so really, just building that up. It's a beautiful question. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. it makes me think too. The mindfulness of the um, the neurons that fire together wire together, and the, <laughs> exactly the, the new neural <laughs> pathways of uh, wow, I really like this. And I always get this image of, you know, when you're hiking, kind of this time of year, and the whatever trail you're on it like kind of leads down into this really muddy path and it's a it's a well-worn trail like we know that this goes where I want to go but I see this other kind of smaller trail that hasn't really been well-worn but it doesn't go through the mud <laughs> 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 when do I take you know and um you know it ends up kind of connecting back and going in the same
1: mm-hmm. where well I said
0: I wanted to be headed so yeah I'm visual person. So um, I, I wanted to, let's see, and there was something that you said that I wanted to go back to, and now I've forgotten what it is. Um, I'm going to go to this next one, because I, I, I feel like it's an important one to address about feeling guilty. Mm. Um, this whole shelter-in-place thing with my family has got me completely depleted. I have little to no time or space to myself, and no way to reach for my batteries. I want to enjoy this family, this time with my family all together, but sometimes I feel like I'm inside, like I don't care at all about the things my kids or my partner are excited or upset about. I can fake a smile or a caring response, but I know they can tell I'm not interested, and I end up feeling like a terrible mom and spouse. Sigh.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. I know you're gonna hate me for this I'm gonna ask you to reread that there was it's crackly and there was some really important stuff in there I do, I want to make sure I capture
0: sure I don't hate you at all for that
1: Oh, great it. thank
0: you um, I'm feeling really guilty right now this whole shelter-in-place thing with my family has got me completely depleted I have little to no time or space to myself and no way to recharge my batteries I going to enjoy this time together, but sometimes I feel like I'm dead inside, like I don't care at all about the things my kids or partner get excited or upset about. I can fake a smile or a caring response, but I know they can tell I'm not interested, and I end up feeling like
1: a terrible mom slash spouse. Sigh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a sigh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think first off, I just want to, whoever this listener might be, is to say I'm so sorry right? That is a super, super uh, tough place to be. I, again, don't think that you're alone. Mm -hmm. And um, these are, again, unprecedented times where all of the ways in which most of us know how to cope have been taken away from us. And that does leave us feeling incredibly overwhelmed and depleted. Right And again, I love you know the the resilience in this particular um, listener is that, you know, I'm going to at least utilize a strategy, fake it till I make it. right mm-hmm. There's a lot of resilience in there. It says how much you care about your family and about your kids and how important being a good mom is, and you know, want to just be able to kind of balance that with this feeling of guilt or feeling of overwhelm and you know i might go off on a little side road because i do like to talk about guilt and shame i don't see it as a bad emotion i actually really welcome it and i don't know how how many folks know there's really these two types of shame right and the healthy shame is exactly what i hear this person talking about it's like i feel guilty i feel nervous i feel embarrassed i feel ashamed And I love if we can listen to that emotion because it gives us an opportunity, right? One, to evaluate our behavior, right? Oh, I'm not really responding to my kids or they can feel that I'm feeling restless, right? So it gives us an opportunity to evaluate, but then it also gives us an opportunity for restitution. And then thirdly, it gives us the opportunity to reroute our behavior for future. So I love shame. I know people tend to shy away from it. They think it's bad. Then they feel ashamed for feeling ashamed and all sorts of things. But in that context, I really want to embrace that, that that guilt is just really, it's beautiful. Again, here we are listening to a signal that's saying, hey, mama, you know, pay attention. You know, your family is so important to you. You love your kids. You love your husband. You love your family. And it's just trying to motivate you and send that signal to, to try and get some help or, figure out some other strategies. So there's the resilience in that. The second part of shame would be where we start veering into what we call toxic shame. And that's where I really can't separate the behavior from the person. So let's just say, you know, I'm having a bad day or I'm not responding to my kids or I really don't care on the inside about whatever. Um, and then I can't go, well, you know, that's definitely a feeling and a thing that I'm, and that's okay because I'm in a pandemic and I'm totally overwhelmed and I can't go for a walk or exercise or whatever it is I do, right, to I am a bad mother, right? Mm-hmm. That's the toxic shame and, and that's a whole different ball game. So in the event that this person might be experiencing that, I would love for them to reach out because we want to wedge our, ourselves in there. That can be obviously incredibly Uh, intra-psychically toxic as well as relationally toxic. So I think for me too, I know, (laughs) Kirsten, you know me, so you probably already know I'm going to say I want to honor the emotion, right? Um, Of course, of course, who wouldn't feel guilty, right? We all want to do the best that we can with our kids. And I know that that leads us to fake it till we make it or to put that smile on. And yet here's, a, here's the kicker in that is the more I try and push down my own emotion, I don't know about you, but it really likes to come back tenfold. So that's not a strategy that works very well for me. And most of the people that I know and I work with, that, you know, especially I think about kids, that is not a good strategy emotionally, that we actually need to offload and purge those emotions. And we need to do it in a safe environment. So I would want to, again, honor the fact that I kind of feel dead inside or I kind of feel like I really don't care. You know, um, it's hard. You know, I go back to when my daughter's currently, she's about to be 16 in quarantine, which will be fun. But I go back to when she was three, four, and five years old. And I was like, oh my God, I I really don't care about Barbies. You know, my bandwidth was just not capable of sitting down and playing Barbies for another 15, 30 minutes. So again, that's a little bit different, but at least in terms of the pandemic, I think that there could be a lot of value in actually talking about some of those feelings, depending, I don't know how old the kids are, but being able to say, you know, mom's feeling a little overwhelmed. I can see this is really, really important to you right now. And I want to come back to it. Right, but I'm, I don't know about you. And then what an opportunity to connect and bond with your children around the development of what those deeper emotions are. You know, today I'm having a day where I'm feeling really scared or today I'm just really missing my job or I'm kind of going stir crazy in the house. I'm missing my sport you know, and being able to have obviously age appropriate conversation with kids, I think is a real door opener to also allow your kids to start tapping into what are their emotions, what are they feeling, and how can they begin to process with us, right? Again, it's not that we are burdening our our kids with what's happening with us emotionally, but to be able to just say, hey, this is how mom's feeling. You're not responsible for it. And guess what? It's okay that I feel this way. Hmm. It's totally okay. Yeah. And because I feel this way, I'm not going to play Barbies today, right? I will play with you tomorrow. And then I always work with parents about, I'm a, a huge, huge fan of Hand hand-in-hand in Hand Parenting. Hand in if you don't know that resource, is just absolutely amazing. And one of the major tenets of her uh, parenting theory and philosophy is that we set up what's called special time, and it's never to exceed 15 minutes right? Because I, I can have a bandwidth as a parent while I juggle everything else, pandemic included, to show up and be present for a child center activity for 15 minutes. And then I set that parameter with my child. So it's like, I can do that, but then I don't have to pretend that I'm doing that for 24-7, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of subtle nuances and um, textures to that. So there might that might warrant a entirely different conversation of how to do that super effectively but um, yeah I would again like so sorry that this person is feeling this way and really encourage you not to shove it down and fake it till you make it right Mm -hmm. but to be able to have age-appropriate conversations that invite your kids into talking about how they feel. Again, it's that back to that idea of a burden shared is halved, even when we're coming from um, the parental perspective where it's, you're not responsible for fixing my emotion, right, I'm just normalizing emotion for you.
0: Right, yeah, you I, yeah, I love that. Um, and, and I think what I'm hearing too is that when just listening to you or emotion, that this, this person is feeling, um, mm-hmm. and I, w- I want to affirm, like, to this person, you are n- definitely not alone. <laughs> like, I have, I personally have had those moments <laughs> where, like, I just don't care. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get away. And, um, what I hear happening when you were honoring that emotion and acknowledging it, um, is also, acknowledging all of the really beautiful things like you you, they are also present like you were talking about earlier of the joy and the curiosity of the um desire to connect (laughs) Wow, you know wow how important is it to give ourselves credit when Mm -hmm. if we're not meeting a, a standard that we may have for ourselves um to say, but I want to, and that matters, Mm -hmm. matters, um, and to really do, you know, one of these or one of these or whatever it feels like, I think, um, is, is really important. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about the whole saying, self, thank you. You did such a great job. And for many of us, it's really, really hard, especially we're in that, that the guilt, the shame, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sometimes if it spirals into to that really deep shame that your toxic shame you were talking about, um, feeling like that giving ourselves that kind of credit and acknowledgement for what is there, um, is is almost like what? How do I even do that? But um, mm-hmm. when you start to just honor it and welcome it, um, anybody who's been kind of following the conversations that we've had in my mamas, we've uh, had. Amy was to offer a really useful practice meditation, um, for those, you know, um, uncomfortable emotions. And that's a great practice. Maybe I'm, like, making notes to myself. We need to maybe have her revisit that, too. Um, and when it, like, it gets very hard and it's, we start to identify with that shame, too, that is an indicator. You, you really should. Do not be afraid to reach out and, and ask for help call Laura call you know a friend who maybe had knows somebody who can they can recommend to if you don't know Laura but um, asking for help is um, it has been stigmatized for so long in our culture and right now in this like these pandemic times what better time to let go of that stigma and say it's not yeah. working anymore
1: I think I, I love your response. Kirsten, and what comes up for me is just remembering our humanity, right? That, you know, none of us are going to do this perfectly, and we are going to fall, and we are going to make mistakes, and, you know, it is not about falling. It's not about making mistakes. It's the what do we do with ourselves when we pick ourselves up, right? And that we, again, are hardwired to be in connection. We are not going to do this this meaning, emotions, life, all of it, we're just not going to do well alone, right? We do better together. And I think that is unfor- and an unfortunate uh, myth that a lot of us have been, been sold is that, you know, there's this independence to, you know, I got to take care of myself. I got to fix my stuff before I can fix anybody else kind of thing, this real fierce independence. And you know, again, what we know is we've never been a culture or society that has ever, has been more separated, right? And we're having the highest rates of substance abuse, depression, and anxiety as a result of that disconnection and separation. So for me, it just kind of keeps circling right back to our humanity, right? And, and having that grace, as you were saying, I, you said like pat yourself on the back or touch your heart space. you know, having that grace for for being okay and knowing that you're really doing the best that you can at this moment and creating a little bit of space for that because we're all in it together.
0: Absolutely. When you said pat yourself up, I thought and just imagine, my kids have been outside a lot without their shoes on. They've been stubbing their toes and they've been like, <laughs> falling on the pavement and, you know, like, I would never pick my child up who's, like,
1: hurt and say, gosh, you should have had shoes on, you know, like. I might be guilty of having said that once or twice, uh, actually. You know, I
0: mean, especially when they're really dead, you know, you look at them and you're like, oh, that really hurt, and it's bleeding, and you hug them, and you pick them up, yeah. in that um, we forget we need to do that for ourselves, too. Um, or even, you know, ask someone else to do that for us. Sometimes, mm-hmm. if we can't do it for ourselves, and I, I love Michael Burnett, Bernard Beckwith. Um, he has this um, for the help. He, he has this phrase as an acronym that it helps to remember. Hello, ever loving presence. Um, um, and I, I, you know, I think that's a really important paradigm shift that to make is that. Asking for help is not a bad thing. It's just opening up to the ever-loving presence that's there that wants to love you through, you know, a therapist, through your partner, through your child, through yourself or, you know, family member or friend Um, is just saying yes to the
1: I have to just pull this, I'm just pulling this up, I just uh, screenshotted it because you reminded me when you said paradigms, it says if you want to make small changes, work on your behavior. If you want to make quantum leap changes, work on your paradigms. What a better paradigm than to have grace for our humanity, both ours, our children's, our partners, the world at this time, right? We are just again all in unprecedented times, right? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Maybe. Thank you for sharing that. It's a great one. I might need to get get you to send it to me first. We can make sure we yeah. I'll you the
1: screenshot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to since we're on the topic of of friends a little bit um, and and help. Um, I've got one here. It's has to do with those relationships now that I can't connect with friends often. It seems like when we actually get to, it turns into a total bitch sesh. While it's nice for us to vent and feel acknowledged slash supported, I don't want my friendships to revolve around all the negatives of this time. How do I empathetically turn the conversation to the positives without sounding like a Pollyanna? Mm.
1: Another great question, right? I really appreciate um, the depth of the questions that are coming out, right? They are so relevant, I think, for so many of us, right? And again, you know, it's really interesting because we're talking about this idea of load sharing and when we're all getting together, it's like everybody has a load to share and, and it can end up really feeling overwhelming, like we're getting into such negativity. So, you know, I love again the idea of friendships are no different than necessarily our marriages, or, you know, um, I want to even say with our children, although I'm careful about, again, our children not being emotionally responsible for us. But same thing with our friendships of being able to, do I have, can our friendship hold space for my sort of, again, more vulnerable truths, which is, I can absolutely appreciate all the negativity and the, the difficulties that we're experiencing and want to hold space for that. Yet again, I am starting to feel overwhelmed, right? There's the vulnerability, like this is really starting to freak me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And what I need, there's the N, the V plus N, is to say, can we kind of cap it? Can we maybe do a shift over here? because I'm starting to just really feel like I'm kind of drowning in it. You know, and some friendships are gonna be able to tolerate that, other friendships aren't. And if you get the sense that it's a friendship that's not gonna be able to receive that, then I do believe there is a place of just real great self-care. That, you know, sometimes maybe I take a step back or I show up late, I leave early if it's a Zoom call or a Zoom thing. Or you can choose to not show up. And again, I mean, I'd always want to do that in a loving way of just saying, you know, like, hey, I can really appreciate uh, wanting to get together. But right now, I really need to take care of myself. And I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to whatever, do something else. But it really is about being able to really know what you need, know what you're, I love the word limitations. I I feel like so many people are like, I should have no limitations. And I th- I feel like there is such resiliency and strength in knowing what you can and can't do. And it is incredibly nourishing to your, to your soul. Yet it's not lost on me that we are a community that does sort of, or some of us could thrive on FOMO and, you know, not wanting to say no, like, oh, I can do it. I can do it. I can. I mean, like people hike, king, climb the grand, do these amazing, crazy feats, in my opinion. And um, so it can get tough. But how do I set limits for myself that are within reason so I can nourish and thrive? And if that means right now, again, these are temporary times we are not going to be here forever. And can I have a more honest dialogue with the people I care about and saying, hey, look, I don't want to take away from what your needs are, but I also know what my needs are. So if we can find a place to negotiate that, fabulous, let's do it. And if we can't, right, how do things need to look different until we can get together afterwards?
0: That's great. Great. Really good advice. Um, I'm going to keep it moving because I don't want to sure. go too, too long. Um, you've offered so much of your time. We've got a couple more questions. Um, so this next one, I'm almost like wondering if it has to do with limitations too. I'm quite sure that my libido has moved to Antarctica and has no plans of returning anytime soon. I mean, I'm even trying and want to take advantage of this downtime, lazy mornings, late night movies, etc., but to no avail. And to be perfectly honest, was even considering asking my doctor for a prescription for Viagra because I heard it works just as well for women. Um, I'm like, these aren't normal times. We're allowed, (laughs) thinking to myself, we're allowed not to have a libido, right?
1: (laughs) I don't know. Sex is one of my favorite topics, quite frankly. So I will throw this out there. My mentor, uh, one of my mentors. I have two. They are both incredibly gifted and famous in our world. One is George Baller, and he does currently a podcast called Foreplay Radio. Mm -hmm. I think by now there might be seventeen different episodes. I know I've tried to send a bunch of them to a lot of different people. Great resource. Highly recommend it and right off the bat he works with a sex therapist. He's also a licensed marriage and family therapist He's an EFT trainer, but the the sex therapist, you know It's like I don't really have that level of expertise But this woman Lori in the podcast does say, you know, I again, I don't know what age is, So I think that's a factor but I would always want to rule out all medical issues relating to what we would call like a sexual dysfunction or lack of libido. I think too, there are some, you know, women's sexuality is so complex. And if I'm looking at even what's happening when kids are a lot younger, where I hear a lot of folks say, I don't have the libido or sex or intimacy is dropping off. I do want to note that part of um, what happens with women's sexuality is that touch, right? That sensual touch, that that feeling of foreplay and affection. Yet if I'm being pawed by my one, two, three, four, five-year-old now in a pandemic, maybe multiple, and they're constantly all over me, a lot of the times, right, that sense of touch, that bucket is full. Yeah. And so what we we see is that there is a decline in desire, right? Because I'm actually getting that need met. And yes, it's not sex. It's not intercourse. It's not intimacy, but right. That is the gateway into some of this. Um, the other piece clearly is menopause where it is a total game changer. And that is a whole complicated issue in and of itself. And if you're in that area, right? Even in the other, I say, you know, again, the important thing around sexuality is there is a a real difference between desire and willingness and that your desire hormonally can be offline and provided that it's not medical. We could be looking at an issue of disconnect right? And so working with a couple to say, how do we get out of those demon dialogues, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier, and reseeding that bond and that sense of connection, sometimes some of the desire does come back on. Mm -hmm. But again, it might not be like when we're 20, right? Or in your teens, or if ever, but there's this other component, willingness. And do I have a willingness to continue to engage with my partner sexually, right? And what we find is that obviously desire tends to follow willingness, right? And I love the idea again of these very open conversations about what needs to be different. How does foreplay need to be different, right? What does it mean to me that my desire is offline? What does it mean to me that my hormones, my body is changing? How was I identifying my sexuality that's somehow now different? And am I actually having a conversation with my partner about that? Am I bringing them into that that sacred place of what this is about, because it's a real relational issue, right? This is not a Laura issue. This is a Laura and Mike issue, and it's relational. And can my marriage hold space for that so we can navigate together about how to continue to have a robust sex life, whatever that might look like, you know? And it's um, the most wonderful conversations can happen in a marriage around that. And again, if if your desire follows willingness, right, what is the willingness? What what do I need that's different from my partner, right? Like men can kind of go to first to fifth gear pretty quickly and skip the in-betweens. Women's sexuality doesn't work that way. So I have to start looking what's on the menu right? Because if I'm only always just getting an entree, we've got to start looking at, you know, <laughs> several courses. <laughs> like I need to start with a soup and salad, then I need a little time, you know, let's go into second, third gear, then. So being able to just really have those open and explicit conversations are, are just so amazing and beautiful for couples. Absolutely. Um, but again, wanting to acknowledge the frustration, right? What I hear is this person is saying, I'm working my tail off here, Clearly, sexuality is a really important part of the marriage, which kudos to you. That's fantastic. And and the willingness is there, right? I'm willing. I'm willing to go talk to my doctor, potentially go on meds, right? So right there already off the bat, you hear how important this is to this person. and, And that's, again, a really wonderful place to start exploring some of this stuff and figuring out what's going on.
0: Yeah. And... Um, A question came up for me as, as you were talking, because I, um, I think that many times there's a desire to communicate about the sex life, um, without, (laughs) it can get very personal very fast, and like, um, what are some ways that we might be able to introduce that topic, um, that doesn't feel like, um, we're, it's a personal attack, or it, I think, maybe even more so than other topics, it can just feel like, oh my gosh, I really feel like I'm walking on eggshells here. And I just want to be open. I want to have an honest conversation. How do I do that?
1: Yeah, that's a great, uh, another great question and a really good point is that these topics tend to be emotionally loaded for sure. You know, we all have ideas and connections to what sexuality means for us, and particularly performance. I know for the majority of couples, right, we tend to do a role reversal where, you know, in our normal marriages or relationships, women tend to be more pursuant, where men tend to be more disengaged. That's the most common pattern. And yet what we see sexually is males tend to be more pursuant. Females tend to be more withdrawn and disengaged. So right there, you can just sort of feel how couples can get set up for failure and all of the complexities around sexuality. So again, I go right back to one of the ways is remembering we are in partnership. We're on the same team, right? And for example, this woman who was chatting, I love being able to put that desire out there I have a desire to be more intimate with you. I have a desire to stay physically connected to you. Here's what's going on with me. Right. And like, that's frustrating for me. I want to be able to, you know, be engaged and do the things that we used to do. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Right. So I love the idea of inviting a partner in to a conversation and saying, you know, that that vulnerable piece of this is what's happening for me, it has actually nothing to do with you, right? But if I need oral sex, or if I need a back rub, or if I need more this, or these are things that I can't do, again, creating space to have new conversations, right, is really what it's all about. And so the invitation into opening up what is vulnerable for me first, is always the thing that you're more likely to get that responsiveness and engagement yeah, in you. a non-defensive way. Yeah,
0: that's, I, I think that, I mean, I can't speak for everybody listening, but I think that's really helpful advice. <laughs> um I can you, well, you know, I can't imagine um, any spouse hearing, I want to have a like, more robust sex life, I want, you know, with you, I want to, like, hear that? to see, <laughs> know to that, right? I, that's a great way to to open up that conversation, to know that, well, the connection, I mean, I just want to feel more connected to you through this. You can
1: really hear the longing, right? Mm-hmm. Again, there is a longing for us to be sexual creatures and mm-hmm. and being able to touch into that is a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to thank the the questioner who wrote that, because I, <laughs> I mean, it's something that we rarely um, feel like we can talk about, you know, can be very taboo, but it is so important, and it's a huge part of who we are as human beings, and yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you, thank you Pleasure. for that question.
1: One of my, um, we could do a, a Therapy Thursday sex talk.
0: I, oh gosh, Yes. I love it. Um, So, I think this might be the last question. Um, I don't feel like my partner is taking this pandemic as seriously as I am or as seriously as he should. When I need to vent about how I'm feeling and looking toward how our future might look much different than we expected, He comes off as very dismissive and makes me feel like I'm being overly emotional, dramatic, and reactive. I want to be able to share my concerns with him, but not at the expense of my thoughts and feelings about life right now aren't valid.
1: Yeah. 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 That's a tough, that's a tough, another tough place to be, Mm -hmm. right? What I hear this person really outlining again is uh, the painfulness of these demon dialogues right? Is there some sort of underlying vulnerability, some concern, some worry, uh, something that's really going unprocessed in the way that it's being received, it gets sort of pushed back or dismissed. You're too much. This is, you're being oversensitive. And that's a real painful place, Mm. right? And, you know, I I know, again, Kirsten, you've heard me say this, all behavior is reasonable and adaptive if we understand it in context, right? So I have to what I do is I help couples understand what's that dismissiveness about what's happening for the partner. Right. I can only speak from my marriage when I kind of get into those positions with my husband, usually he's kind of going, Oh my gosh, Laura's not feeling well. She's really dysregulated. I don't know what to do about it. So the best thing is to kind of just maybe try and show her that like, this isn't that big of a deal. Come on, just relax. No big deal. But unfortunately right there, we can get into a negative pattern. Um, And that's an incredibly painful place to be. You know, again, at at this time, what what comes up for me is there's so many wonderful resources right now currently um, available at 50% off, actually. I'm doing a plug now is uh, Hold Me Tight Online. So Hold Me Tight is a book, one of Sue Johnson's first book. It's it's, uh, emotionally focused therapy, but it's a self-help version. And there is an online program. So I know... Last October, actually, George Fowler, my mentor, came here and through the subsidy of the St. John's Episcopal Church, it was an amazing program, provided what's a two-day workshop for couples where we walk through these seven conversations outlining these dialogues. Sue is now offering that online and she's doing it 50% off for couples. So when I hear this unfortunate cycle that's happening, um, you know, I can't help but going to, hey guys, there's lots of things we can do about this. And first really recognizing that, okay, I'm being dismissed. That does hurt. Something's not working in the way that we're communicating, right? And really getting some help at unpacking that, which is a little bit of what we were talking about before is going to what's going on in that moment. Right? If I'm feeling dismissed, can I ask my partner to slow down with me? Can I invite them in and say, hey, look, I know that there's a reason that you're doing this. I'm not really sure that I understand, but right here, right now, this is what it's feeling like. It's heavy on my heart, and I really need help. Can you help me? And again, you can feel the invitation, right? Because typically, and again, I don't know this person, but in those places, that's where I get more fiery, right? And I'm like, well, let me just try and explain this to you again this is a big deal and then I can get like my facts and research I might pull out the front page of the paper and say see what the, you know that's never gonna land well on my husband for sure right and so we just keep cycling on that figure eight and it just tends to escalate and get worse and worse and worse and um, and we all need help off of that and right so it's a really complex question so I would I would really encourage anybody you, again you can give me a call I'm happy to work through some conversations with folks. There's also the online platform if you wanna do that more uh, confidentially in the <laughs> confines of your own home as we're all sitting around, right? So. I hope that helps. I know that's a really tricky, complex question.
0: Super helpful. Yeah. And I think what you're hearing is like, it's, it's all okay. It's all the reasonable and adaptive. I'm like, Oh gosh, I need to like, um, that, you know, it's hard to see when, when we feel like we're not being heard, but that that's also their way of dealing with the information that they're receiving and that we, you know, we're all there right now and just allowing and welcoming all of the feelings even as, as uncomfortable as they are um, and that they're trying to tell us something that is that's yeah. so important.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So mm-hmm. no matter what the behavior is, is I know it's fueled by some deeper personal emotion. Mm-hmm. Right. But in the moment when I'm being dismissed or I'm arguing with my partner, it's really hard to slow that down and know what's going on for me that's going on for them. But the unfortunate reality is we're actually in a pattern of code dysregulation where we just keep the way that we're trying to protect ourselves emotionally is actually just dysregulating my partner and on and on and
0: on. Yeah. 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 And remembering, you know, we're all just doing the best that we can. I, Rachel, one time, Rachel Wigglesworth, um, threw this out in a workshop that I attended for like toddlers and tantrums of, so, is it a can't or a won't? And I find myself using that a lot too with um, when we're in one of those um, patterns of co-dysregulation is um, for me, is it a, like, I, I can't <laughs> get out of like, cause I will be very, um, like you said about that, you got to listen to me. I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, and, and also for my husband like is, is his ability to acknowledge how like, seriously, I'm taking this right now, a can't or a won't. And it's usually a can't. Like, if he could, he would, he loves me. I know he does. Um, and, and, and that, I think even like just those little things to like help us uh, snap. I like I, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, when we're in survival mode, it's an issue of camp, right? When we're dysregulated and we're fight or flight, right? And if I'm going to fight about how important this is and you've got to hear me, right? You got to appreciate the energy behind that. But just like for my partner, who's going to disengage and dismiss and tell me I'm crazy or too much or whatever, like I've got to also understand that strategy underneath for him to just kind of go away and regulate, right? Just that's what our brains do in those moments, yeah. Fight or flight, yeah. It's so primal, and mm. the, we're getting back to.
0: I, I think that that's this pandemic is showing, um, like we said, a lot of those paradigms are becoming a lot more clear. Of like, oh, this is <laughs> this is a paradigm, or that you know, and this is primal. Is yeah. we're we're responding are very natural. Um, to the uncertainty that we're feeling in the world, and um, that's okay. Like this is not normal. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's not it, normal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for also the reminder that we will get back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may not look like the normal we had before. Our new normal, Right, right. Yeah, um, but that that will happen. Um, and that the, the skills that we're building now, and that you you've offered us today. Um, will help us get there I think in really helpful ways and resilient ways and bonded ways that um, allow us to to still love each other and ourselves and hopefully the world uh, yeah. that that we, we're, we all desire. Mm. Re- recreate a, or create a new paradigm.
1: Yep and we're all in it together right? Yeah. And again, you know, I, I love the idea of sacred stress. It is an incredibly, incredibly stressful time just in the world in our families and our parenting with our children. But the sacredness of being able to say, you know, how do I make meaning in the suffering,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: bit from Viktor Frankl's man says the meaning. But there's a real sacredness to being able to see how do we get to grow, right? Stress creates growth right? Individually in our hearts and our minds and our ability to pull resources, right? And we're all in it together.
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's a beautiful offering, sacred stress. I think I'm going to have to sit with that one um, a little bit more. Well, uh, Laura, thank you so, so much fun. for being with me today, for answering these questions. I know that um, the members of Mindfulness for Mamas are, going to really take a lot away from this, and I really hope that we can do it again. Uh, Yeah, I love the idea of having a therapy Thursday once a month, Um, (laughs) something that we we keep on the regular. Um,
1: Fun, be fun. uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to connect with you, and I, mm -hmm. I do. I hope folks find it helpful, and I really appreciate people taking the time and the thoughtfulness to put in their questions right? They're great, great questions. And again, just to normalize it, nothing I've never heard before, right? We all are going through this stuff, you know, um, pre, during, and post-pandemic. These are just issues of the human heart and, and human relationships.
0: Right. right. Well, thank you. And um, I'm going to try to figure out how to convert all of this so I can share it with our, with our group. Um, I'm, I'm going to hit a little button now and thank you all for listening um we are sending you so much love and compassion and like laura said you're not alone and if you need to reach out and ask for help we are here laura's here there are lots of resources please don't hesitate to do so
1: awesome all right have a good one thanks guys bye thank you